This is the Midweeks. And welcome to the Midweeks. This is your host, Pastor Rob. I'm back. Went on vacation for a few weeks uh, for my work. It was wonderful. Um, and I want to share a little bit with you about some of my experiences going back home to Vernon, BC, where I'm from and I still have family. And I want to share with you a new story that I've been thinking about as well as we'll get into some scripture and look into uh, a passage from the book of James. And Lord willing, maybe we'll work all the way through the book of James together. But I want to share with you, a couple weeks ago I went back to Vernon and it was just one of the best visits I've had back to my hometown and one of the things that I I realized about the city I'm from, Vernon, BC, is that the north end of Okanagan Lake is that you only have to drive five minutes in any direction to see another amazing view. There are so many hills. Vernon is kind of situated where a bunch of, I think at least three valleys um, come together, maybe four. Uh, in between hills and mountains and you've got this town right here at the end of three or four valleys and three lakes and a bunch of hills and so anytime you drive anywhere you get a fantastic view and one of the things that just made this trip so amazing was just getting to thank the Lord for eyes that work and the ability to rent a vehicle and drive up a hill and just and just look and see the colors and the view and to feel very small on the side of a hill looking at some amazing things that God has made. And so if you ever get a chance to, to go there, spend a day and just drive up each little mountain you see. And it's just so beautiful there. And it had been the wettest that it had probably been in Vernon for years that we've been there. Usually you can go days and days and days without any rain. It's very warm, above 30 degrees often. And it rained almost every day we were there for at least a little bit. So the hills were still green. It felt lush. It was really beautiful. So very thankful about that. Um, but one of the things that happened when I was there is I, I was visiting, I was staying with my mom, and this was the home of my youth. So we moved there just before I turned nine. And I lived there until um, about the age 20, with uh, maybe a year or two or half a year or two out of there. It's many, many, many years of living in this one house, and it still feels the same. The house has cedar um, uh, panels on the inside, uh, real cedar panels for walls, and so the colors hasn't changed, and the house feels very similar to, to the whole time I lived there, even though there's been some updates. And there's this one moment I was walking down the stairs, and the front door closed, and there's this uh, memorable creaking sound, and then slam is this heavy totally solid wood door slammed closed and kind of shakes the house and my whole mind and heart just said dad's home and then I had to remember that my dad actually passed away a few years ago and just this experience of being transported to this this event that happened probably a thousand times maybe over a thousand times growing up of this about in the late afternoon uh, being at home everyone's at home except for my dad and then my dad would come home from work and the sound of the door closing boom and just it, my it, all the memory all those accumulated memories came back and just dad's home but he, he wasn't and it just took me a moment to just have that reality check um 
of what was actually not happening and it obviously was somebody else I didn't check but I just I was just so profoundly hit by this um, experience that brought me back to years and years and years of the past and it, I've just been thinking about how much we are uh, creatures of the past you know uh, we're creatures formed by God so we have this definition about us that we're made in the image of God male and female and that's what we are we are creatures created by God um, and then we're also creatures in time so as people we are born in a certain time born in a certain place we live our life however long that might be um, so I wasn't born in 18th century France and I wasn't born in 13th century China I am a Canadian who was born in the 19th 80s and this is my experience but we also have these internal experiences of ourselves and our experience of life and history is so much of who we are especially if you think about it you know if somebody has amnesia I've never met somebody who had amnesia there used to be tons of movies and stories about it. never met somebody I don't does it actually exist I don't know but if somebody had complete amnesia and they couldn't remember their past and they didn't know anybody who knew them before they got amnesia you'd just be completely lost you wouldn't know who you were that old you would, would part of you wouldn't, wouldn't exist anymore in one sense, and you'd just be starting over again. So I was just so profoundly impacted by how our history is us. It's not all we are, but it's a perspective of looking at who we are, what we've been through, what we remember. That is who we are in one sense, um, uh, uh, by one perspective. And, uh, you know, that was doubled down. I, we went to this place called uh, the O'Keefe Ranch, which was one of the first ranches in this area. Um, and it's over, way over 100 years old and walked through there with our kids and just was exp experiencing the history of it but just remembering as well that when I first got saved as a Christian around 18 years old um, a couple from the church that I joined were the curators of this ranch this historical ranch he was the curator she lived there too and when we were exploring this old house which is one of the first houses built there um, there's this rose garden in the front with a little sign that says this rose garden was planted by and it said her name this lady and she had also passed away from cancer probably about 15 years ago um, and and I also remembered as we were walking through this this building which was built in I think the late 1800s there was this room and I remember I had communion in that room with that family and other people as part of our community group and so I was just being hit with all these waves of my past and 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 just thinking about how we really are so impacted by our past. We are our past. It's part of our story. And just so grateful that our story really counts. Um, our God invented history. Our God invented time. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ invented that there should be time and there should be events that kind of follow one after another, if that's how it works. And he honors it. What happens in time counts to him. Our experiences count to him. And the Bible tells us that God rules over time. He rules over history. He, he, he determines the places where we should live and have our being. Um, but, you know, we aren't kind of waiting for death so that we can really get on with life. The history that we, we experience and the, the, the daily lives we live really does count. It, it's From one perspective, it is who we are. And if there's a moment in history where you come to faith and you give your life to God and you turn back to God through faith in Jesus Christ, that really counts. And I'm so grateful for that. And then it changes everything. Um, our, our present really changes everything. So I can look back at all these things and some things are so bittersweet and some things I'm just so grateful for to the Lord. And 
I'm looking through the lens of my walk with God and who I am in Christ changes things. But just sharing that little story from my vacation. So grateful for the opportunity to go back home for a little while and just have these memories. Um, and I've got lots to be thankful for. Okay, I want to next just point out a, a news story. Maybe you heard about this, maybe you didn't. The, this, this guy from the States named Jeffrey Epstein, I think that's his name. And a billionaire from the States who's got into the news big time because um, he's been accused multiple times of um, abusing and trafficking in young girls, which is just horrendous and terrible. Um, and now it's a big news story because they found some connection to President Donald Trump and his... Uh, I think it was his labor secretary just had to resign over some connection there. And as I heard about this story breaking, I was just thinking, this, isn't this old news? Because I've heard about this Jeffrey Epstein guy and his crimes and um, for, for years. I think it's been at least two years since I first heard him. And then why is this in the story now? And I think the only reason it's news right now is because they're trying to get at the president through him. But uh, I want to just encourage you, if you do this stuff, there there's a... YouTube podcast by a guy named Andrew Clavin, K-L-A-V-A-N, and he did an episode for the first 20 minutes or so is about this, and, and I just want to commend it. I don't commend everything about him, but I want to commend it as he he's a used to be a journalist before he did this stuff. He's a writer and an author, and he, he has a good history of everything connected to this, and I think it's a wonderful object lesson in um, trying to be discerning when you're listening to the news. It, part of the news about this guy is how much um, influence he's had between his money and his connections in staying out of the news while he's done his crimes and been convicted of crimes a few times, I think, at least once, but maybe a few times, but nobody's really done anything to make sure it's national news until now. And it's not because of what he's done, it's because they're trying to injure other people because of it. And so one of the things that this podcast brings up is that years ago there was this Vanity Fair journalist writer um, who wrote a piece about this guy, Epstein, and included in it that he's got this reputation for uh, being connected to a lot of young women and two young women. And part of what came out during this news article is that when she wrote this piece, the editor of Vanity Fair at the time deleted that part of the story. And the journalist who wrote this said when this happened, she just burst into tears because um, her editor was protecting this guy from the bad press of what was kind of known to be illegal activities of abuse. And so I just want to commend that. I think nowadays um, it, it takes a lot of self-control to be a wise consumer of social media and news media. It takes a lot of being patient with the facts. It takes a lot of getting facts double-checked. And I think in a social media culture, we're more and more used to just reading a headline and receiving it. And I think it's bad on Facebook, and some people say they're trying to help with that stuff. Who knows what they're going to do. But um, there's there's there are long stories behind most stories before we ever read about it. I, I like to remind myself that before I ever read anything on CBC or CNN or Fox News or anywhere, that story has gone through an editor, and maybe two. And that editor has decided whether or not this story is going to help his newspaper or her newspaper or hinder his newspaper or her newspaper 
or their political activities or their connections. And so life's very complicated. And I think as our culture grows to be more and more wired, it is it behooves us to be more thoughtful, wise, and self-controlled consumers of news media. And so I want to commend this to you. You can Google um, rewriting Epstein, uh, Andrew Clavin on YouTube. I think it's episode 728. And so I commend the first 20 minutes or so, plus his satire skits that he does for the first minute of each show, I think are just hilarious. Um, so I commend that to you. All right, speaking of wisdom, let's jump into James. These things are connected because um, James is a book about wisdom. It, it, some people have said it's kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. I think so as well. Proverbs is kind of uh, epitomized by these short, powerful sayings that you're meant to think about and also think about how they connect with the other sayings around it. But it's not a long argument and it's not a story like other writings in the scripture. And James is very similar to that. He usually has like one or two lines about one topic and then he moves on to the next thing. And they're usually pretty practical. And so as we're about to get into James, um, we're going to read part of James and it's going to be somewhat practical. And this is because Practice is a big part of faith. When I think about Christian faith, I think of Christian faith from three perspectives. Number one is the faith, so the facts of our faith. What makes the Christian faith the Christian faith? And the facts of our faith are, can be summarized as this. There's one God and creator of the entire world. And he made the world good. And he made human beings as his image bearers in the world to serve him know him and love him and be loved by him and there was a rebellion against god where they rejected him and because of that um, humanity was uh, cursed and uh, with the curse of death and division in the world and the entire universe fell with it into uh, corruption and god uh, in mercy decided to work with the world and try to save and redeem a people out of it promising that one day one of the children of the woman would destroy the serpent he chose abraham he chose noah he chose uh, israel he chose david and throughout history he was working with the people by faith to bring about ultimately his son the lord jesus christ who came from heaven and was incarnate in the virgin mary and who lived a faithful righteous a perfect life, uh, but died for sin on the cross and rose again from the third day on the third day and ultimately ascended to heaven and rules right now from heaven over the earth, having sent his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to fill the believers of his church. And right now is the time where the church is spreading throughout the entire world. Jesus promised that all nations would hear his gospel. And then at the right time, he would return to save his people, to raise them from the dead, to accomplish a final judgment, and to definitively destroy all sin and evil in the world, and to bring his people into an existence of everlasting joy with him. These are the facts of the faith. Um, but there's also, you can look at the Christian faith from um, a human heart issue, which is faith is confidence in Jesus. Faith is an attitude of trust and dependence towards God as a uh, follower of Christ or as a servant of God. And even the word confidence, the English word confidence comes from the Latin. Um, the Latin word fides means faith. And so confidence just means with faith. And so this idea we have of confidence, you know, um, 
trust, hope, uh, moving forward, um, ha having a good expectation, believing in someone, uh, entrusting yourself to someone, having confidence. This, this is a part of our faith. Christians have confidence in God. That's part of what it means to have faith. We believe and acknowledge as true the facts of our faith, the Bible and the gospel, and we also have confidence in the God of our faith. We have confidence in Jesus. We entrust ourselves to Jesus. We have hope in Jesus, and we um, expect him to fulfill his promises. And so that's another perspective on our faith. The facts of the faith lead us to have confidence in the God of our faith. And then another way of looking at our faith is to see it as um, a response, as a practical outworking, as obedience, as doing something. Christian faith is something you do. It's truths you believe. It's feelings you experience, if you want to put it like that. It's a confidence you experience. It's an attitude of trust that you experience. And it's things you do. And the book of James really focuses on the do part. James really focuses on what Christians do because we believe. It's not very explanatory in the facts of the faith as far as working through, you know, Christ and the resurrection. It's in there, but it's not the emphasis. And it's not as emphatic on the heart attitudes of the faith. It really is focused on the practice of our faith. And so much so that Martin Luther once said that James was like a piece of junk. It was like straw. He almost argued that it shouldn't belong in the Bible. And I think part of that was that James's uh, focus is so much on the good works that flow from faith in Jesus Christ and the, the obedience that flows from him. And it's such a lack of the perspectives of the details of the faith or the truth of the faith or the heart attitude of the faith that, you know, if, if you don't, you can think lowly of it. And if you kind of miss that this is a perspectival issue, it's just showing one perspective or emphasizing one perspective, you can kind of think, what's going on with James? Doesn't he believe in justification by faith anymore? Why is he, t it's just all do, do, do. So for me, when I look at James, I, what I, my, how I see it is that James is convinced that you can always show your faith in God. And this is his message to the church that he was writing to. Church, you can always do something to show your faith in God. Yeah, you believe the truth. And this comes up in one of the past. You believe the facts about the faith. Great. Now show it. Yeah, you've got a heart attitude of trust towards God. Wonderful. Now show it. This is his attitude. And his conviction is you can always show your faith in God, no matter what situation you're in. And so what I want to do is just take the first few verses and begin with where James begins, which is learning to show your faith in trials. So let's read James 1, starting verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. 
Okay, I'm going to pause there. I think this is actually just the beginning of a section that goes right through verse 18. But I'm going to stop there just for the sake of time. And I'm just going to say this. James starts with trials and perseverance. And I think that this is the reason. You and I can't do anything if we won't persevere in it. Anything worth having does take some persevering. We live in a world where things are tough often. Things are hard regularly. And things are in incredibly difficult too regularly. And so James is going to start here essentially saying, if you can't learn to persevere, you can't be a Christian. Or you won't perse persevere in being a Christian. Or you'll meet a trial which will drive you away from Christ and you, and you won't show your faith because it will cost you. And maybe the reason you won't show your faith is because you don't have it anymore. Maybe that's what he's getting at. But essentially in life, if you can't persevere, you can't do anything. You can't get an education if you can't persevere. It's a long time of studying and learning and thinking before you ever get a degree or a diploma. If you can't persevere in learning, you can't get educated. You can't hold down a job if you can't persevere. Uh, work is tough. If it were easy, you, people would do without wanting to get paid for it. Every job you'll ever get paid for will be difficult. Sometimes the hours, sometimes the work, sometimes the people, sometimes the boss. If you can't persevere, you can't make money, you can't have a job. If you can't persevere, you can't have relationships. Marriage is so difficult, sometimes you, you think you're just going to die. Um, if you can't persevere, you can't stay married. It's just so hard. Two sinners figuring out together how deeply sinful they actually are, how much they don't want to show their faith in Christ in their marriage, because it will cost them. Um, that's It's a long process of dying, sometimes. But... If you can't persevere, you can't be married. You can't be part of a family. Families are difficult. Sometimes families are great. They're full of joy. There can be loyalty and mutual support. But your family members will do things that will drive you crazy and sometimes really hurt you. So if you're going to be a Christian in a family, we're going to have to persevere. Um, life requires perseverance. Life is just a series of ever-changing trials. And... No matter what you do, you'll have to persevere through it to get anywhere. Um, and this is just everybody. This isn't even being a Christian. And so uh, James starts with the trials because Christians especially have trials. Because God has called us to follow his son. And his son was the crucified Christ and the suffering Messiah. And he said that you're going to be suffering just like me in your life. And so you're going to have nonstop trials. And we have to have an attitude to persevere through it or else we can't follow Christ. And so he's, he doesn't say that specifically, but he, he's just focusing on his conviction that every situation you're in, you can show your faith in Christ. And so he's going to start off with how to show your faith by persevering. And he starts out by saying, why don't you consider it a joy? Okay, so all of us know, we've, we've all come to agreement, we've all decided with 100% yes, when you're suffering, what you're supposed to do is complain. And then you're supposed to get angry at the people around you who aren't making your life the um, dream-fulfilling, wish-list, bucket-list-kicking life that you know that you deserve and you've always planned for yourself. And then ultimately you get mad at God because he's not showing up to give you everything you wanted to, right? Right? That's what we're supposed to do. When trials come, we're supposed to complain and feel pretty justified in it too. And then look to see who we get to um, chew their head off about for ruining our lives. Well, James says, if you live like that, you're, you're not showing any faith in God. Instead, why didn't you consider it a joy? And the first thing he points to, and there's lots of things, reasons why we could encourage this attitude in ourselves, but he says, if you persevere in trials, you actually grow up. You grow up in Christ. 
So you'll actually be able to do more to show your faith as you persevere in trials instead of buckling under it. And so, and then from there, he goes on to say one of the first things that kind of drives Christians crazy in a trial is not knowing why they're in the trial, right? I don't know if you've ever felt that. It, it's actually really true. One of the things that drives people crazy, but Christians as well, in a trial is, why me? Why is this happening? This is the worst tra- timing, the worst thing. This isn't just why me, why, why, why? And so James says, knowing that usually when we're in a trial, one of the first things we experience is a lack of understanding or lack of wisdom. He says, when you're in a trial, if you want to learn to persevere, why don't you ask God to help you grow in your wisdom? Okay, James is convinced we can always show our faith. And one of the main ways that Christians show their faith in trials is just by praying. Start praying, pray in the middle, pray at the end, pray. When you're in trial, pray. So he starts off with prayer. And one of the first things we need to do is come to God and say, I don't understand what's going on, what's happening. Can you please give me wisdom? Can you help me understand? God's never going to give us all of his secrets, but he can lead us into mindsets of wisdom that encourage and empower us to go through trials instead of making everything worse by what we're thinking and how we're feeling as we go through it. We can show our faith in every circumstance. And he says, why don't you pray that God will give you wisdom? And God is generous. He gives generously to everyone. He'll totally respond. And then he talks about the next thing. He says, the next thing that happens, though, is that we have our hearts exposed, that we don't actually have that much confidence in God, that he is going to answer that prayer in the middle of our trials, right? So this is another aspect of faith, is our confidence in God. And he starts saying, if you're double-minded about this, don't expect God to answer your prayer for wisdom. And so you can think, oh, God's a jerk. He's not going to answer my prayer. Actually, I think what James is doing is he's saying, if you find yourself going through the motions of prayer in a trial, but in your heart you don't actually trust God in the trial, why don't you pull back and start dealing with that and start just confessing? God, forgive me. I'm in this trial. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I want to rage. I'm attacking people. And ultimately, it's because I'm thinking badly about you. I'm double-minded about you. My confidence in you, this faith I'm called to have that you've given me, um, I've let it slip through my fingers in a trial. I've lost my confidence, faith in you. Would you have mercy on me? Would you forgive me? And I'm going to pray and I'm going to stir up my heart to have confidence in you. And as I'm doing that, would you show me wisdom that I need in order to do, um, do my faith and to work through this trial well? So that's the beginning of it. James, this is my conviction. I think he, he, he thinks, church, you can always show your faith. And he focuses on the practical applications of our faith because he believes that we know the facts of our faith and he assumes that we're filled with confidence in God through our faith and that because of that, we should be showing our faith in all circumstances. And so he starts off by saying, when the trials come, and they're going to, why don't you practice rejoicing in God and asking for wisdom in the midst of it instead of the other things? All right, church, be blessed. And I hope you have a great week. And I look forward to connecting with you over the next midweeks.